Here we go. Grab some stuff. Let's pray. Let's go. So this is your first Sunday in Lent. Very nice sermon and very nice service. We had a couple of baptisms for the first service, so that was fun. Uh, Invocavit sermons. You know, this is famous in history, Invocavit Sunday. Remember, Luther was away in the Wartburg. Um, some new pastors came in and tried to push people around uh, because the Reformation had begun. And they tried to force people to take the chalice without teaching them. So lesson for young pastors, you teach and then you do things. Tried to force people to take the chalice. People were scandalized. They didn't know which way was up. So Luther has disappeared. The um, Pope is uh, saying one thing. Lutherans are saying another. Local, everything is all mixed up. Luther comes out of hiding and takes the chalice back away from the people. So interesting, right? So, so often we're just about, you know, here's the rules and do the rules. Luther took the chalice back until people could be ready for it. So this is a good lesson for us. Sometimes you do things poorly toward doing them better for a very long period of time. And always trying to figure out how fast to go with that is an interesting process. But uh, Luther gave these famous sermons in Lent about how things should proceed with the Reformation. So kind of a nice thing. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil, 1 John 3, 8. So that's pretty succinct. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. O God, by whose spirit we are led into the wilderness of trial, grant that standing in thy strength against the powers of darkness, we may so win the victory over all evil suggestions that with singleness of heart we may ever serve thee and thee alone. Through him who was in all points tempted as we are, thy Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. If you haven't decided what to give up for Lent yet, you could give up your blood. (laughs) On Saturday from, uh, it'll be a limited fast, just a pint or two, I suppose. Uh, 8 a.m. to noon right here. Mr. Latman was downstairs. Emily Stellwagen knows all and sees all with regard to that, so... There you go. How's your fast going for you all okay? It's been so far, early returns have been very happy from people. You know, different periods of time take different character. Even different lengths are different. Sometimes it starts with a great struggle. This, this year started apparently fairly well for people. If you want to talk about your fast, if you want to talk about confession, if you want to talk about anything, we just had a run of people over the last week talking about things. So. It's not too late. If you haven't chosen uh, how you might do some fasting or what you might want to do, I gave you the same handout that we talked about last week for about 20 minutes. You go back and listen to it if you want to during the week sometime. But do consider a couple of things. And I've more and more reading about this. You see how important it was, especially to abstain from sin. So it's one thing to, for example, not eat or drink for a day or half a day during Lent. But the other thing, again and again, the church fathers and mothers talk about abstaining from your bad habits, from anger, from gossip, from telling lies, from being a miser. So kind of think that through as well. And you can put a couple of these things together across Lent if you have a bit of experience with it and really do some good. So if you need help, give us a buzz, but otherwise you're uh, in full swing. Just any questions about that? Any kind of fasting questions or other questions? Yes, Byron, please. I've never uh, fasted before. Yeah. I'm not saying that. Yeah, right. And now, I'm going to 
it. And of course, that's the point. That's the, that's the right point. It redirects you, right? And so you even see in Jesus today, it was a very fine sermon, by the way, but you also see in Jesus redirecting the conversation, right? Suffering redirected toward good. So for all these things, you know, you're all connected. Your stomach is connected to your brain, to your heart, to your hand, right? It all comes together. So keep going. See what happens to you. Anything else? We're going to give money. Yes, we are. We are going to give money. We're going to give it to the alert team. They're sleeping on a floor some way be somewhere between here and Florida this morning, I think, going to church somewhere. So what's that? They're somewhere. Where are they? Well, they're in southern Illinois. The guys are in Marion this morning, and then they go along. I come back on Friday. The guys are driving home this weekend. They should be back this evening about dinner But they were in Florida, right? Yeah, the work was in Florida. Okay. Good. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, those kinds of things hang on. So um, Then I found a new saint this week. So here you go. The patron saint of pregnancy. Did you see this? I love this, right? I mean, I, so here's, uh, <laughs> I'm sassy, but I'm going to go ahead. Look, this is a children's sermon, right? <clears throat> what's, in the ha- what's, what's, what's in the bag? Children, what's in the bag? Uh, hammer. What's the hammer? Jesus. Yeah, right? So here it is already in an icon. So we have this kind of scary gospel reading for today where, G- where the devil appears to Jesus face to face and has to go at him three times in a row. You might have had a good start to Lent. Don't worry, it'll get worse. There'll be points where you'll be uh, tempted and miserable. And I, we talk so much about evil. We talk so much about darkness. We talk so much about temptation. Sometimes you might think that you're overwhelmed. And here is the Blessed Virgin Mother. No, not the Blessed Virgin Mother. Here is um, uh, the patron saint of pregnancy banging in the devil's head with a hammer. This is great, right? So St. Margaret of Antioch. And then if you turn the page, you can read this. The other thing is, is among the legends is that the devil swallowed her up, but because she was swallowed up with a... Did you see the guy swallowed by the whale last night on the news? It's like that. But because she was swallowed up with a crucifix in her hand, the crucifix was so irritating, the devil, he burst open, and she came out and said, hey, that wasn't such a bad deal after all. So this is a remarkable thing you can think about. You know, this is the kind of icon where you hang up, and when you feel overwhelmed, you sort of take a look at this, and you're like, oh, yeah, that hammer, right? So of course the devil is strong. Of course evil is wearing on you. Of course, of course, of course. But at the end of the day, what's the reading that we heard, right? This was uh, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil, like with a hammer when you pound him on the head and blood comes out of his eyes. So just remember that you know if you need an icon to hang up in your home, this is my new best favorite, at least for this week, okay? So there you go. You can have a read through that. Uh, it's, it's kind of fun. You're not such bad shape that, that you thought you were. Okay, then, uh, by the way, thanks for coming out this morning. This is the hardest. This is harder than the Sunday after after you know, low Sunday is the Sunday after Easter. Everybody goes to Easter and has fun, and then nobody comes to church the next day. It's actually called in the church low Sunday, in part because the celebration is over, in part because nobody comes to church. This is the second. This is the second hardest day, or maybe the first hardest. No, for whatever reason, people can't align. But anyway, you're here, so here we go. Uh, and I've given you way too much. Some of this is going to go into next week, but it's you know, save it and look ahead. 
Um, see what you think. So this very simple thing from last week. Ye have not because ye ask not. Or say your prayers, right? You want things, but you don't ask for them. So say your prayers. Ye have not because ye ask not. This is on the one that says number nine, praying the names. And then, Jesus, whatever you ask in my name. Hey, I'd be happy to do that. Whatever you need, just ask. But ask in my name that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. Now, the, the logical conclusion of that would be we should know something about the names, and we did the most famous name, which you get in a scripture as capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Yahweh, the covenantal name, the particularly sacred name. Uh, and we did the burning bush last week where Moses says, why would anybody believe me or why should I, uh, who should I say sent me? This is my name, Yahweh. I am what I am or I do what I do or I'll be sure to get it done. You can all just, um, you can all just, just relax. Now there's a couple of reasons for that. But now I'm at point number three. So in the outline, it starts number nine. I'm at point number three. Why is the holy name so important? It's a really simple answer. You can't see God face to face and live. It's a very simple answer. Before there was sin in the world, you remember that Adam and God and Eve walked in the cool of the day in the garden. They were friends. They were family. And they walked together and spoke together and all was well. God is holy and things that come near to him that are unholy, unholy, they are destroyed. So what do we do? I mean, how do we have any relationship with God once there's sin in the world? How does this work? Well, there's a couple of ways it can work. The general principle is that God hides himself or more technically, God mediates himself, or he gives himself to us through media, through stuff, right? So early on, he gives himself to us through sound, and chief among the sounds is his name. Later, he gives himself to us in the flesh and blood of Jesus. But again, he hides inside that. He hides for your benefit and mine so that we're not destroyed, so that God can come close, so that good can be done to us. So we can't see God face to face. That would destroy us. But he gives us his name, and that gives us access. This is why, especially as a parent or as people, you know, it's one thing that, you know, when people sort of speak in an off-color way or you know, what comes in, people, parents get concerned or people get concerned about what comes into the, what words come into the vernacular and what don't. Yeah, things come and go, okay? Those aren't the sort of things that are as upsetting to us as if somebody says, Jesus Christ, or God damn it, or even, oh my God. Um, it was poetic justice at the Oh My God Cafe failed in Wheaton. I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> know your audience, <laughs> right? And like... Um, you know, these sorts of... So to, to misuse the divine name is one thing. To swear, you know, or to have kind of off-color language is a, compl- of a completely different uh, 
character because when you use the divine name, you invoke God. You ask God to act. And if you act him to ask, act in another way, for example, if you act God to damn another person, you violated the first commandment. Life and death, everlasting life and damnation only belong to God. So to say, God damn you to somebody else is to put yourself in the place of God, to be a judge. You're not here to judge. You're here to deliver the gospel. You are nobody's judge. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. At the last day, the Lord says to the apostles, you'll sit with me as judges, but this will be, like all other things, uh, instrumentum secundum, a secondary instrument. We are not God, and we do not act in the place of God. We have to be very careful about this. However, because God loves us and wants to be connected to us, wants to have access to us, God explains himself to us. And one of the most wonderful ways he explains himself to us is in his name. So I give you uh, Moses hiding in the rock, Exodus 33. Moses said to the Lord, hey, you said to me, go get these people from Israel or from Egypt and bring them out. But you haven't told me who'll go with me, and you haven't told me your name. You haven't told me when people say, who, who made you king, right? Why should we come? You have yet, you have, uh, yet you have said, I know you by name, so I know your name, you're Moses. You found favor in my sight. Okay, verse 13, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider that this nation is your people. So now, all sorts of things, your ways and you yourself, God, and your presence and your favor are all going to be together. God said to him, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Relax, everything's going to be all right. And he said to him, okay, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring me up from here. Don't set me up to fail. Nobody wants a job where they have authority but no, no power to execute. Responsibility but no power to execute. How shall it be known that I found favor with you? Why would anybody believe me? He's asking the same question again. Why would anybody believe that I found favor in your sight? Is it not in your going with us? And this is great. So that we are distinct. We're the chosen people. We're peculiar. I and your people. We're distinct from every other people on the face of the earth. What makes us distinct? Why are we different? And the Lord said to Moses, the very thing that you have spoken, I will do. You found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. See, so still the question is not answered. So Moses says, hey, show me your glory, which is holiness, which burns hot, which is how heaven is filled, which is light. You, know, you see those new cookers where they're advertising where they say it'll go to zero to 500 degrees in 60 seconds? Have you seen this? Like, how does that even happen? I want to put my hand in there and see if it works, and then I don't. So <laughs> technology. He said, look, I will make my goodness pass forward. So look at all the things he said. I'm going to show you my way. I'm going to give you my presence. I'm going to give you my favor. I'm going to show you my goodness. Okay, I'll make my goodness pass before you, and we'll proclaim before you finally... My name, the Lord. There we go. Finally, we're on speaking terms. And I'll be gracious to you to whom I'm gracious, and I'll show mercy to whom I show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face. A man can't see my face and live. And so then you remember that he takes Moses to, um, puts his face in a rock, 
and then God goes before him. Anybody studying Hebrew? Not you. It's Latin for you guys. Yeah, just for you. So there's a little joke here, right? He shows. Um, he goes by, and he he turns his face, and he sees him in the dual form. So he sees his backside, basically, right? <laughs> this is what you see: the divine backside. So he says, "He won't. You can't see my face, but he says you can see." the hinder parts of me, right? So there's always this clever, earthy little thing going on. Uh, he says, no, you can't see my face, but you can see this. And so he turns and, you know, he sees God moving away. But the big thing is that he has his hands, or his, his I mean, sorry, he has his name, right? If you turn the page, the same thing happens over and over again in the scripture. This is why when Isaiah goes to heaven, you remember Isaiah 6, we read this. He goes to heaven and, and um, heaven is filled with incense, Right? It's filled with incense. Why is it filled with incense? Because you can't see God face to face. If he sees God face to face, it'll destroy him. Or when uh, the high priest went into the Holy of Holies, you remember that the Holy of Holies was constructed. You should think of it like uh, Persian carpets hanging up one after another, kind of walking through a maze. It gets darker and darker. You can't see. And in addition, he takes in so much incense that he has to put up a cloud of smoke that he won't be able to see what he's doing. Right? Why? Because if he sees God face to face, that'll be the end of him. So they used to say about the high priest, you could smell him coming before you could see him because he had so much incense in his clothes that he used so much to keep himself from seeing. Anyway, the point of all this is you don't get to see God face to face because you're a sinner. In Eden, this is how the story is told. In Eden, when you're holy and God's holy, you can see him face to face. When you're not in Eden, you can't see God face to face. Now, you can see him other places. You can see him in water. You can see him in flesh and blood, wandering around um, Galilee. You can see him in bread and wine. You can see him in scripture, in words. You can see him all kinds of places, but you can't see him directly. He's mediated to you. And since you live in a virtual world, and there's no distinction between virtual and real anymore, this should be right up your alley, right? This is perfect. Right? You're really an avatar. I'm not even sure any of you are really here. I mean, you guys in the back, you look like, you look like, come on, you look like a hologram back there. You know, so I don't, you know, so this is, you know, it's, this, it, avatars are the perfect example of this, right? If you ask people when you have an avatar, who are you talking to? They'll say the name, right? I'm talking to John. They're like, that's not John. That's, oh yeah, this is John. It's just, right? An avatar mediates. So, um, you have this thing between you and God that's a buffer that actually protects you and yet connects you. It reveals who God is. And that's this is number five. That's all tied up in this Greek word, onoma, right? And you learned this long ago. Basically, the name tells you, you know, who, what, when, where, why, and how. That's all contained in the name. So it tells you about the identity and the essence and the action and the ownership and the intent and the timing it's all there in the name. So when you get the name, you get the person. This is the big deal. You get the, when you get the name, you get the person. This is why we talked about this last time. This is why it's such a big deal when this morning I baptize you in the name of the Father. He touches the child, puts water on the and of the Son. He touches the child again, puts water, and of the Holy Spirit. Why is that important? Because the name now has been tattooed on that child. And as I think I said this last week, last chapter of Scripture, 
It's the tattoo on your forehead. Who are these people? Revelation 22, 4. These are the people who wear the name of Jesus on their forehead. Boom, that's exactly what happens. So the name is everything. If you have the name, you have the person. And this, of course, is, ah, you know. Carol Holter brought me the, I should have brought it down to, I should have made a copy of it, all that makes me sad. Um, Jake, Jake, it's all right. It's fine, don't worry. It's fine, don't worry, it's fine. Come back soon? No, it's just, uh, no, I don't care, he's fine. Um, Carol Holter brought me the trib last week, the home section. How do you make your, how do you make your home a happy home? Did anybody read this? How do you make your home a happy home? Front page of the home section. Carol, can you remember exactly what it said? I could go up and get it. Start out in headline was using Yes, use witchcraft. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Use witchcraft to make your home a happy home. This is on the front page. Now, you think to yourself, you go through it and you say to yourself, I'll print it out for you next week if I can remember. You say to yourself, would the, would the tribune say, so it said things like, get a crystal next to your bed, right? What if it said, they would never print, put a crucifix next to your bed. No, no, but it's all right, because, you know, it's just magic. It's just those names. Or it said, read the auras of people who are around you. Like, really? I mean, give me your money. I'll read your aura, okay? <laughs> this is, I once went to see a guru, and he said, he said this is about, and I have a lot of stories that you don't know about me. I have another life before I was with you. But, so everybody is sitting there like this, and then he says, now I'm going to merge with the universe. I'm looking at my best friend, Fred, and I'm like, okay, this ought to be good. And all these people are going, oh, the aura, you're golden, you're silver. I'm like, I'm, of course, I'm saying to Fred, this is a scam that we should be in on. <laughs> you know, we can all, well, we can all see. I'm just like, you should pay me for this. So uh, it's, just, it's just so surprising. It shows the yearning, what people want and what they'll try. Of course, and I've said this to you a million times, the problems with, like divine names, demonic names are real things as well. And if you, the, the reason they get hold of you is because you misuse them. So, uh, you know, there's so, there's so much to do. The point of all this is for you all and for me is to learn the divine names and learn what we can have then. So, if you can just think about the divine names, you can almost think about them as boxcars on a train, right? And they're all connected. So you get a name like Lord, and then you get a name like Christ, and then you get another name like Jesus, and then you get another name all of Son of Man, Son of God, Son of David. Um, you start to learn all these things, and then you know the answer to your prayers in advance. Because you can have anything inside the boxcar. So at the end of this, I said, you know, the names are like an Amazon warehouse. And you can have anything you want, right? Anything you want. The trouble is you don't order because you're afraid or it's too hard to log in or somebody might get my credit card or the two-day delivery is always three-day delivery because the post office brings the last mile. So, you know, there's all these reasons why you don't pray. And yet Jesus is like, it's all here for you and it's full and all you just tell me, just tell me what you want. And, of course, the qualification is, I'll do anything that's good for you. We had, a, we had an earth-shattering experience, and it's Sternad's fault. Um, 
somebody actually asked a theological question over beer on Thursdays. Completely redefined men's discussion group. We actually discussed. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so the question was, you know, what is, how does God, uh, does God punish me, which is people inevitably know. So I have this idea of Christ as the big umbrella, right? And so I sin, and I should get this, and I sin, and I should get that. And then I yelled at Kirby because she wasn't up this morning. And then my kids. And, you know, um, occasionally um, I'm going to get punished. But not usually because Jesus will, he, he shelters me from all the things I should get. And if one does slip through, the only reason he would let that slip through is because he loves me. So the punishments that come to me turn me, move me, correct me, or perhaps kill me as a blessing. The names are exactly the same way. So anything you can find in a name, this of course is why you should spend a little time with the divine names. You should start to think about them. Um, I'd be careful about, as I Googled names, I thought about an experiment of just bringing names in and Googling them up, and we could talk about them, but then there's so much bad. As I had to say to Kirby this week at one point, Google is not my doctor, right? See, I'm an, I'm an authority follower. I actually like to have a doctor who went to medical school, who actually knows things. Because when somebody's coming toward you with a sharp thing, you'd like to know that they have more than $29, 60-bit cable, right? Internet access. You actually want them to know things. Um, there is a little Greek dictionary called Kittle, which you can look up. There's a big Kittle, which is 26 volumes. There's a little Kittle, which is one volume. That's a reliable place to look up the names if you want. I can help you with that if you care. But the one place I turned the page, the one place I always give you to look at this is 1 Kings 8 and 9. And the reason this is an important one is this is you at your baptism. This is what happens to you. I'll work backwards where Paul says, don't you know that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit? He sort of says to you, like, don't you know that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit? Don't you know? You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And you say to yourself, you look at a guy like Alex and you go, really? How did that ever happen to Alex? And then ultimately you say, I should show Alex more respect and give him a pay raise, right? So you sort of go, He's the temple of the Holy Spirit. Or if you kind of look left and right, the people around you are all temples of the Holy Spirit, which should be the primary way you interact with them. So they're full up like Jesus today in the sermon, full up with the Holy Spirit. Right? Now, how did that ever happen? First Kings 8 and 9, they're building on Mount Zion the temple in Jerusalem. Solomon said, and looked right from the beginning, it was in the heart of my father David to build a house for the name of the Lord. So he doesn't even say for the Lord. He says for the name of the Lord. Because that's how you get to the Lord. You get to him through his name. You have the name, you've got him. But the Lord said to David, you're a bit of a warrior for me, a little bit violent. So you can't do it. You shall not build the house. But your son, he can build the house for my name. So see, name, name. Now the Lord has fulfilled his promise. You can see I'm going to skip a lot of verses here. I've built the house for the name, the God of Israel. I've provided a place for the ark, which is the mark of the covenant of the Lord who brought us up out of Egypt. 
Then Solomon stood before the altar in the presence of the assembly of Israel, and he spread out his hands toward heaven. This is typically, I mean, you're going to see the pastor do this at the late service. He stood before the altar. He spread his hands out. Why? Because we're nothing but given to. So you come, I don't bring anything. I'm empty-handed. What have you got for me? Now, two things are going to happen here. One, I'm going to explain to you why you're filled with God. And the other thing, I'm going to show you that this form already in 1 Kings, and it's even farther back, but this was an easy one because I made a couple of points. This is the form that we use to pray every Sunday. So I began by saying to you four or five words, try to work into it. The most important thing is to do it. Set a timer on your phone and remember to do it. The Lord will take whatever you've got. Any prayer is a good prayer. Okay. But like all things, sort of as you grow up, you know, suddenly you're going to wake up and find out you like, you know, ginger and garlic and a really smoky scotch. You know, you don't like that when you're 11, most of you. But uh, you kind of, when you know, there's some days when you get older and you're like, yeah, my taste buds are dying, but at least this, right? Okay, so watch. This is the classic form of a collect. We pray this way every week in the very first prayer. Watch what happens. First, the name. So I gave you the outline, what it is, and then what he says. So this is what he spreads out his hands, and he says the name. O Lord, God of Israel, whatever you pray in my name. Okay, so here he starts with Lord, God of Israel. And then, like Suzuki violin, I don't know if this is still true, but when kids took Suzuki violin, even if you played really horribly, the, the first thing the teacher said was, you hold the bow so nicely, right? So you say something about the person. So, O Lord, God of Israel, you, right? So who does it? There is no God like you in heaven and beyond. So you're the Lord, which is your head of heaven and earth. So, O Lord, you, it always starts. So it's like, O Lord, me, I want a pony. No, O Lord, you, it establishes this relationship, right? O Lord, you, there's no God like you in heaven on earth. Here's what you do. Keep, you keep covenant, keeping covenant, and showing steadfast love. No other God does this. No other God makes covenants like you make them. No other God keeps covenants like you. No other God bases the covenants on pure love. So they're one-sided. You just love us even though we're jerks. Showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with your heart. You, with your servant David, my father, what you declared to him, you spoke with your mouth and you fulfilled it. So you made a covenant, you show love, you declared it, you spoke, you fulfilled it. Okay, so we've already started to explore what's in the two names, Lord and God of Israel. What'd you do? You came to us, you showed love, you made a covenant with Israel. You, you, now we want something. We're going to ask you for something that's in that, within that name. Now, therefore, God of Israel, O Lord God of Israel, we ask that you keep for your servant David and my father what you promised. Let your word be confirmed. Keep your, look, you kept your promise to David. Keep your promise to us. And then the result, a little bit of a sidebar because it's a formal affair. But will God really dwell on earth and heaven and earth? The answer is yes, he will. Just turn the page. You, and this is what we want. Go down to the next paragraph. Listen to our prayers. And then next, that your eye, this is what we want from you. We want your eyes open night and day toward this house. That's what we want. So you told us to build a house. You made a covenant. 
You fill up heaven and earth, but we don't want some generic kind of God. We want a God who is right here 24-7. We want your eyes open. We want your ears open. We want you to pay attention. We want you to love us all the time, that your eyes may be open day and night toward this house, the place where you said, we're going to hold you to your name, you said, I'll make my name dwell there. We want you to listen. So what do we want? We want you to watch us. We want you to listen to us. Listen to the prayer your servant offers. Listen to the plea of your servant when they pray toward this place. Listen in heaven. And when you hear, ding, 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 forgive. Which means erase the distance between us. Erase the rubs between us. And just in case, God, you don't understand what that means, here you go. If a man sins against his neighbor, if Israel gets defeated, if there's no rain because we're big sinners, if there's no food because we're really bad, if foreigners come and they need some help, right? If your people go out to battle, and like the Athenians, they're always voting in a raw democracy for battles they can't win, right? If they sin against you and you get angry, and who doesn't sin, right? This sounds like you and me. Hey, who doesn't? What husband doesn't do that? Apparently you haven't used this, but for Lent you might want to try it. Hey, what husband doesn't do that? Let me know how it works for you. Okay, so <laughs> let your eyes be open. Give us your ear. Because you, look, he circles back and may hold him. To, because you're the one who separated us. You're the one who called us out of Egypt. You're the one who gave us Abraham. You're the one who made us a special person. You're the one who gave us Moses. That's why you should do it. And then the conclusion, kind of long again, let these words of mine which I pleaded be near to you and be heard. That's basically the long amen. This is exactly how we were going to pray today. I actually gave you, I thought I was going to do this last week, um, but... If you turn one page, just turn one more page, it says, notice the parallels in today's collect or any day's collect. Look, this is the collect from last week. Exactly the same. Name, oh God, something about you. You in the glorious transfiguration of your son confirmed the mysteries of the faith. You in the voice that came from the bright cloud foreshadowed adoption by grace. So, since you're in such a good mood, we're going to ask for something. Mercifully, make us co-heirs too, which is, Bring us home with our brother Jesus so that we can come to the fullness of our inheritance in heaven. Amen. Same, same. Make sense? I'm not saying you have to pray this way, but I'm saying there's a richness if you learn to pray this way. If you hold God to his word. I mean, the most fabulous one I can think of is the one that was in the baptism. You know, we do this whole baptism. Our Lord Jesus commanded us, you know, in Matthew 28 to make disciples of Abraham. We read what the Lord told us to do. So you told us to do this, right? Then we do it. And then at the end we say the prayer. And if you're a parent, it is the greatest prayer ever. If you're, the, if you're a parent with baptized kids, it is the greatest prayer because at the end we say we offload all responsibility for our kids' bad behavior. <laughs> we just say that it's cathartic because we say... Now that this child has become your child, maybe you could pay for college. <laughs> right? This is what we do. We, Jesus tells us to put the name on people. Oh, Lord, you tell us to put the name on people. Now we just put the name on this people. And now we beg that you would take care of it because, after all, we just did what you told us. It's exactly the same in 1 Kings. You told us to put your name here. You told us to build the building. 
You told us to gather around. You told us to pray. So guess what? Pay attention, because we're praying. We got troubles. And I didn't give it to you, but there's a long list of all the things that can go wrong in your life. And they're begging God. This is why you come to church. This is like one, two, three commandments in a row. Don't have any other gods. There's a God. Here's my name. Don't misuse my name. And three, I'll meet you at church once a week to kind of tune you up and answer all your prayers. This is why the first three commandments are the first three commandments. They all have to do with God and his name. And God listening to his name and giving you anything you want if you'd ask for it out of the name and if it's good for you. So there, I know the answer to all your prayers in advance. Except for mine. I'm still waiting. But your prayers? It's like raising your kids. Easy. Right? I'm great at raising anybody else's kids. <laughs> Fabulous. I could be probably be a better husband to your wife as well. Listen, <laughs> watch shows together, all the other stuff I don't do. <laughs> but in your family, I'd be fabulous, okay? Lord tells you his names because he wants you to ask. He gives you this great description of a warehouse full of stuff just waiting for you. And your problem in mind is we won't order. We're bored. We're doing something else. We're distracted. We have some other gods. We're busy. Right? So the whole trick of Lent is to take some time and say your prayers. Learn something about the name. Say your prayers. I mean, God is just there, just there waiting for you, loves you, and wants to do that. Turn back. Um, to God's answer in 1 Kings 9. So this more slowly, because this is, I'm, I'm, my, one of my fasting resolutions is to end at 10.45. We'll see. But at least for today, I got my eyes on it. Okay, so, as soon as Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house and all that Solomon desired to build, the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time as he'd appeared to him at Gibeon. And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your plea. Right? So he's prayed in the name. He's pulled something out of the name. He said what he wants from the name in this specific place and time for these particular people. No different than you praying tonight at dinner for you and your family at that particular time. I've heard your prayer and your plea, which you've made before me. I have consecrated. Consecrated is the technical word for when the Holy Spirit comes down. So you consecrate a building. You consecrate a pastor. When you consecrate something, the Holy Spirit is put into them. I have consecrated this house. So I put my Holy Spirit there. I have consecrated this house that you've built. How did I do that? By putting my name there forever. So look, three times already you have the ironic benediction. How do you, how do you bless someone? You take the holy name and you actually put it on them. God bless you. How do you consecrate someone? You take the holy name and you put it on them. I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. How do you, how do you, consecrated place, you put the Holy Spirit there. Same, same, same. Right? Same, same, same. I did it. Here's the mechanism. By putting my name on them. Like, so today, 
when the pastor says, the Lord bless you and keep you, he's actually taking the name. If everything else in the service went to hell, he's taken the name and putting it on you so you can go to heaven. That's what's happening. The last word is God's word on you as his people. By putting my name on them. Therefore, my eyes and my heart, so what I see and what I love, will be there forever. And of course, you know this from the baptismal mandate. When Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, for you physicists in the room, um, that's space. And when he says, lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age, that's time. So once you're baptized, there's no place in space and time you can go where God isn't with you. This is precisely the same. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. This is why pious Jews are very careful about excavations around the temple and where they will go and where they won't go on the Temple Mount because they don't want to, they don't exactly know where the Holy of Holies was, but they don't want to bump into it because this is the place where God has put his name and they have to avert their eyes. It's very interesting. As for you, and this is your big finish for Lent, as for you, if you will walk before me, so basically follow me or go in front of me or go where I put you or do what I say, if you walk in my way as David your father walked. And now remember, David had some um, pretty big troubles, including adultery and murder. So there's probably room for all of us. Uh, if you walk with integrity of heart and uprightness, do according to all that I've commanded you, keep my statutes. Basically, if you walk in the light and not in the darkness, walk in good and not in evil, then I will do all kinds of things good for you. And he gives a little. But if you turn aside, right? If you turn aside from the house I consecrated, then I'm not going to watch you anymore. This is the most basic thing, that God won't force you to be saved. The gospel is resistible, right? If you want to go your own way, you can go your own way. Hell is when you go your own way forever. You know, people think about hell as this thing where God is righteously punishing people and, you know, literal fire burning hell forever. Okay, but there's another way to think about it. You only go to hell if you want to, right? Now, I'm within the context of hearing the gospel and all the rest, try to hear this in the right way, especially you radio listeners who may be preparing letters and cards. So, um, right? So here's the thing. Hell is when God lets you have your way forever. Or as C.S. Lewis once said, hell, the door to hell is locked from the inside. Right? Look, here's, at least for all of you, the Lord has said, this is good, please have good. That's evil. Don't touch evil. If you turn aside from me, I'll let you have your way. You'll go out of my sight. This house will become a heap of ruins. People will walk by and wag their heads and say, why did the Lord do this? And then the Lord will defend himself because they abandoned the Lord their God. People say, I'm so alone, God walked away from me. You're tattooed. You can't walk away from a tattooed, and believe me, some of the tattoos. I was, I was thinking to myself yesterday, I was looking at some like, young guys being drafted in the NBA. I'm like, most people can't get their landscape and their interior decorating right. But you're going to get a tattoo? Really? Because you can move chairs around, but once you go... Pay up if you're getting a tattoo. That's my advice. They say because you abandoned the Lord who brought him out. They basically violated the name. They walked away from the name, so they walked away from the who, what, when, where, why of their life. 
which is why people feel so empty. Because they've walked away from all the good gifts. And then people cry out, and they try to find other places to satisfy their hearts. This is an old sermon this morning coming at you. And what? It doesn't happen. Which is why the church needs to be kind. So we're going to actually do what I gave you um, the second one. We're just going to come back and do that full blast. And it'll actually be fun doing it next week. So I'm going to do two names. I'm going to clean up the Jesus name a little bit. But then this beautiful name, Friend of Sinners, which is, I'm just going to give you the punchline now. Um, A lot of Christians have a lot of angst, a lot of anger, and a lot of fear. Even pastors are angry and afraid a lot of the time. Your job and my job, a pastor's job, is to walk in the way of Jesus, and you'll find that the way of Jesus is love. He is the Holy Son of God, and when he gets close to sinners, they barely notice until they notice, and then their lives change. So the whole goal of next week is, and we've done this you know, year after year, is to get you to come to sinners here in the room and outside in the world in the way that Jesus does. Otherwise, you're the same as Israel, and you've walked away from the way. Okay. So I didn't make the time. My Lenten fast for time was broken, but I'll try to observe the other ones. Okay, here we go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Remember, you can come to confession at 5.30 this Wednesday. In the back, there'll be a pastor from 5.30 to 6.30. And remember, dinner from 6 to 6.45-ish. Do come to dinner. Should be good. Thank you.